Good morning, everyone, on this sunny day of June. It's nice to see the sun after some nice, needed rains. After going through droughts, I'm never going to complain about rain again. Rain is good. Okay, Psalm 68 is our psalm for the week. And we'll use our John 15, 26 as an antiphon before and after the psalm. 498 is the hymn. Okay. All right. This Pentecost week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. O God, when you went out before your people, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the 
spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions of shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan. O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountains? At the mount that God desired for his abode, yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And his God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies. The hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the cold. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary, the singers in front, the musicians last. Between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng. The princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. The power, O God, which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reed, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Push shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, be a source of strength and hope for the children in our families. When they stray, protect them from all danger and grant your abiding presence. Guide them by your word into paths of wisdom and righteousness and send your holy angels to watch over them, that the evil one may have no power over them, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In Psalm 68, which is so um, freighted with Old Testament imagery about Jerusalem, uh, the sanctuary or the temple of the Lord there as his dwelling place, uh, the mountains of Bashan are to the north. There they look down upon Jerusalem and they're lush and green. Uh, there is the uh, acknowledgement of enemies of God's people on the one hand, and yet uh, all kinds of people coming to the, uh, to the house of the Lord, to the tabernacle of the Lord. So though freighted with um, Old Testament imagery, it is a picture of the church and how on the one hand, the church is an enemy to the unbelieving nations. On the other hand, uh, there are those from the nations that flow into her. It is Psalm 68, that it, portions of which are in the intro for Pentecost. And also, it, it is in Psalm 68 that Ephesians 4 uh, quotes with respect to the ascension of our Lord and the giving of the gifts of the ministry, particularly apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So in Psalm uh, 68, verse 18, you ascended on high, this is quoted by St. Paul, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So that passage is cited by St. Paul and applies it to the ascension of Christ. When he ascends, he gives the gifts of the ministry. Um, the office and the men in the office and the ministry itself of preaching and of sacramental administration uh, through which uh, these are the gifts through which people come to know uh, Christ. And then, you know, he dwells there wherever his word is preached and wherever his sacraments are administered, gathering the nations uh, to him. So, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, which is Elisha. That's what his name means. Uh, our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. So, anyway, that's a little bit of a highlight from Psalm 68. And with that, that's why the uh, third article of the Creed from the Catechism is cited this week. So, what is uh, the third article? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, 
He daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Now, don't leave that page. This uh, rendering of the text of the third article places under the confession of faith in the Holy Spirit five things. The Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. At the center of those five things is the forgiveness of sins, which is what makes the church holy, characterizing her and drawing the assembly of all believers together to receive Christ's word and sacrament. It is that ministry of Christ's forgiveness that we share together in this communion of saints, communion of forgiven sinners. The, the phrase, the communion of saints, and the, specifically the word saints, does not refer to canonized saints, not that it excludes those, but like, as if you would say, well, that's St. Paul and St. Peter, but it's not Bob Zaretsky. No, actually, communion of saints includes, saints includes Bob Zaretsky, if you can believe that, which is an article of faith, see? Okay? Because communion, communio, or koinonia in the Greek, is a sharing something in common, and what we share in common is the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and faith in our hearts. So we are all declared to be righteous or saints in our baptism. And what we share together in this communion or fellowship is the gift of the Holy Spirit, faith in Christ for that forgiveness. So is the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints the same thing or can they be distinguished? The answer is yes. Okay, The Holy Christian Church that phrase, think about it as emphasizing particularly the congregation of baptized believers among whom the gospel is preached. So you should look, come into the church on Sunday morning and you hear the preaching and you see the sacraments being administered. There is the Holy Christian Church. The communion, then, is a hidden fellowship. See, the first one, you can think of it as an external fellowship of preached word and sacraments, then the communion of saints and internal fellowship of faith in the Holy Spirit in the hearts, okay, which is created uh, by the, um, the external fellowship. So, and at the center of that, you take the forgiveness of sins out, there is no holy Christian church, there's no substance to the gospel and sacraments, uh, nor is there any true communion. Now, Professor Marquardt that I've been uh, mentioned last Sunday, uh, Charles Wolcom was here, and then he also sent me this uh, wonderful um, tribute to him. He made the comment that the, the Apostles' Creed is considered like the baptismal creed, the daily creed that you say in your private prayers. It's given to the baptized at their baptism. That the, and the Nicene Creed, the fuller one that articulates more vividly the deity of the Son and of the Spirit. But the Nicene Creed is the typical one confessed at the Lord's Supper, 
whereas the Apostles' Creed in daily life and given at baptism. So he makes the comment that communion of saints, that baptismal creed, refers to the Lord's Supper, and in the Nicene Creed, one baptism for the remission of sins, that creed typically the common one for the Lord's Supper refers back to baptism. Do you see, do you follow that point? So, I just sort of. Sort, sort of? Yeah. Well, see, if, if the Nicene Creed is the one confessed at the divine service of Holy Communion, it has the reference one uh, baptism for the remission of sins. In the baptismal creed, given at baptism, confessed daily by the baptized Christians, points to the Lord's Supper in the phrase, the communion of saints. Okay. And then, where there's forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. So, the, for, uh, the resurrection of the body to new life and the life everlasting follow from that. And notice in the, the emphasis in the explanation is upon the word of the gospel by which the Holy Spirit calls us to faith and sanctifies us. All right, so let us pray. O Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son to give life and salvation to the world, and who together with the Father and the Son we worship and glorify as the only true God, receive our thanks and praise for proclaiming Christ to us through the preaching of the gospel and the gifts of the holy sacraments. Faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, hope in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and love for God and our enemies are all your creations and gifts to us through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Preserve the holy Christian church among us through the faithful preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments of Christ. Bless the communion of saints that every baptized Christian sharing in Christ's love through his forgiveness might abide in Christ and bear witness to his love in all that we do and say. Give us firm hope in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting so that we might faithfully endure persecution for Jesus' sake and suffer all, even death itself, rather than fall away from him who gave his life for us. Hear us, O Holy Spirit, for you live and reign with the Father and the Son, one God, now and forever. Amen. We commend to our gracious Lord, Ed and Bernice Lemke, Walter, Kent, Jan Wallen, Jim Weber, John Paul, Amy, Josiah, Todd, Cliff, Pastor Locke, and Professor Pless, praying the words our Savior taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing hymn 498. We'll sing stanzas 1, uh, 2, and 6.
Stanzas one, two, and six. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and make our hearts your place of rest. Come with your grace and heavenly aid, and fill the hearts which you have made. To each us to To you the gift of God most high, the fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. Teach us to know the Father's Son, and you from both as three in one, that we your name may ever bless and in our lives the truth confess. Praise we the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit with them one and may the Son on us bestow the gifts that from the Spirit flow. So 498 and 499, if you want to keep that handy, we might look at it later. It's actually the same text, but the 498 is a squared off uh, melody of the original Veni Creator Spiritus chant melody on the, on the right-hand side, which we will be singing um, responsibly with the choir at the ordination. Let's go right ahead to Matthew chapter 10. Yes. John Pless was injured in um, an accident in South Africa. Um, he was um, uh, hit by someone riding a motorcycle and he um, had a head injury, uh, where he was knocked unconscious and with a concussion. So he is um, going to be on his way back if he's not already from South Africa. And Tom Locke was injured in an accident also. He was our organist for a while, then he Became, uh, went to the seminary, associate pastor and contour at, uh, I forget the name of the church, it's out in Denver. But he is recovering from an automobile accident also. All right, so uh, chapter 10, I'm going to turn this down here. little feedback coming through. We need the microphone for the sake of uh, recording and then sometimes there's people in the hallway so if the PA is on that that's uh, helpful. All right, um, we talked about the importance last week where Jesus names the apostles so that the early church would know who were the guys chosen by him who were eyewitnesses of his ministry. And in chapter 10, 
I want you to jump all the way to verse 40 because this becomes um, the significant climax and it also connects it with the ministry of Jesus that we went over in chapters 8 and 9 where he says to them, he who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So in that verse 40, we have the understanding that the ministry of Jesus that the, apostle, the evangelist Luke and the other apostles bore witness to continues in the apostolic ministry. Okay? So the ministry of Jesus of preaching and teaching, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, delivering from Satan, continues by the apostles. I am not an apostle, but I'm in the apostolic ministry insofar as I am faithful to the apostolic teaching, the apostolic word. A lot of times people are troubled by things like miracles. Remember the, the miracles of Jesus, I mean those people whom he healed, they did all eventually die. So the heal and those that the apostles healed, they did all eventually die. Or we should rather maybe say, fell asleep in Christ to then be raised from the dead on the last day. So those healing ministries, those very dramatic, the, the, the healing miracles, those very dramatic events are a foretaste of the resurrection and they demonstrate the power of the gospel of Christ's forgiveness that make it possible. Do you follow? So they're not to be understood as ends in themselves, like the faith healers uh, of the 19th and 20th centuries in, in America, Oral Roberts and so forth. Invariably, those types of ministries make an idol out of the Lord. Jesus performed the miracles and the apostles did to draw attention to the gospel and that people might focus on Christ and what he has done. Uh, it doesn't mean the miracles didn't happen. They did, but they are foretastes of the resurrection. Okay? So with, with that, then, I, I take you in, into verses 5 and following. These 12 Jesus sent out. And this is during Jesus' three-year ministry. He sends them out with very specific commands as to what they are to do. Okay? It's, uh, and then... They do that and they're going to come back and report to him things like we saw Satan fall from heaven. Kind of a figure of speech, but when people are delivered from demonic possession or there's these miracles and so forth, Satan falling from heaven, you know, this idea of being vanquished of his power. Okay, so these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Does that mean that the Gentiles and Samaritans are excluded from the gift of salvation? No, no. no it doesn't. But there is a progression that Jesus is talking about here. It is prophesied in the Old Testament that the gospel comes to the Jews first, to Israel first. Then it goes to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans. Okay, Remember, St. Paul said, and he... Um, I said Luke a little while ago, didn't I? to correct me. Anyway, we're in Matthew. Uh, St. Paul said, I am not, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Okay? That's reflecting this here. Are we now in the time of Restrictive ministry or open ministry? And by that I mean only for the Jews or are we in the time? It's open, right, for all people now. Uh, what is this? I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you and in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What is that? God's promise to Abraham, it is the gospel. It's preached first to Abraham in the Old Testament. But in that gospel preached first to Abraham is the promise in you and in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We did not receive the holy scriptures of the Old Testament from the Gentiles. We received the Old Testament scriptures from the Jews. All of the apostolic writers are Jews. Okay. Now, it's the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing by the prophets and apostles. But there is a progression. Where is it located? Okay. So, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, that phrase is going to be repeated in, you don't have to look there, but Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician, as she's sometimes known, or the Canaanite woman where Jesus says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she knows that while that's true, in the promise made to Abraham for the lost sheep of Israel was the promise of salvation for all. So what this indicates here is that this short ministry period, it's like a, a trial apostolic vicarage for the twelve is uh, provisional, temporary in nature, but then it is going to be a paradigm of what the church and her ministry should look forward to and expect in, in the future. So they are going to be taught through this apostolic vicarage, so to speak, uh, something about the nature of the ministry itself that extends beyond the apostolic age. Okay. Verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or has drawn near. Now, that is a summary statement. It's not like John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is not the only thing that 
John said, but it's a summary of the content of his preaching. So here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has drawn near. In whom? In Jesus. Now the things that, that happened then are Jesus' kingdom breaking into the kingdom of this world. Uh, the things that the apostles do, Jesus' kingdom laying siege to Satan's kingdom. Okay. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Did Jesus do those things in chapters 8 and 9? Yeah. Yeah. So you see how they are doing what he did. He who hears you, hears me. Freely you have received, freely give. Now what did they receive? This is easy. God's word, okay. The gift of the Holy Spirit, what did they receive? Forgiveness of sins. The gift of salvation. Freely you have received. You know, in God's word and spirit, the forgiveness and salvation, freely give. So, I made the statement many times, ministers, still today, cannot give what they themselves have not received. Okay? Now, verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food or, in another place, worthy of his wages. Now, do you know one of the things that I don't like about vacations? Packing. I hate it. Once that's done and you're you know, on the road, then it's okay, but I just hate the, the packing party, the preparation. What a great deal this is. Don't take any money. Don't take your wallet. Don't take your staff. Don't even have extra clothing. The no sandals thing. So they were walking around barefoot. Were they then, or was it no extra sandals? I mean, it doesn't say that, but it's just weird to me. It implies that, doesn't it? It does. What is the point then of this? Uh, to, to deny oneself these earthly provisions. It, it, it is entire, it, it illustrates entire dependence upon the Lord. Now, later on, remember in the Passion, now Jesus says, take this stuff. But, but in this provisional ministry, he is wanting to emphasize and teach them that while we use, I mean, we take offerings, we have collections, we have lights, and we have new furnaces and air conditioners and so forth, and that's all important, but it's a completely different thing compared to what the ministry is, the gospel and sacraments, and who creates the church and who sustains the church. That's the point here. However, Cherie, when there are no sandals on the feet, then you are identified as a minister of redemption. Okay, of the kinsman redeemer whose barefoot heel Trample Satan under feet. So remember the prophecy, how beautiful are the feet 
of those who preach the gospel of peace. So that's part of what's going on here. Okay? And believe it or not, this dependence upon... See, the, the worker is worthy of his food. Who gives the food to the worker? God does how? Through other people. Who have... Uh, received, the, received the word okay. that received the gospel. That's right. So they'll, they're going to be provided for by those who have received the word. Classic Old Testament text. Elijah is sent, coincidentally, not to a Jew, but to a widow in Zarephath. The same uh, region that the Syrophoenician woman in Jesus' ministry, chapter 15, came from. And he says, the Lord says to Elijah, I will provide for you through this woman. Now you go take the word to her. Okay? And that's, that's true today also. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Now, this is where I like to argue that when you're scratching your head trying to figure out what do words mean, if you know the catechism, Luther's small catechism, it's of big help. Who are the worthy? Repentant sinners. Yeah, repentant sinners. So remember the catechism says, he is worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So it doesn't mean these people aren't sinful people. There is no such thing. But it's repentant sinners. Okay? Stay there. I'll re- I don't know who the pastor was. I was walking in Iowa up to the church on the day of my ordination, and he said something to the effect of, just remember, this flock, they're all Sinners. So, and stay there till you go out. So as long as they're repentant sinners, which would mean if there is recalcitrant impenitence wholesale, well, that's when the shaking of the dust from the sandals is going to come. And when you go into a household, greet it. Do you know in the agenda for pastoral care, going into hospital rooms and so forth, It encourages the pastor to say, peace be with you. If the household is worthy, again, still use the idea of repentant sinners, let your peace come upon it. So the peace of sins forgiven. Who receives the word of peace or forgiveness? But those who are repentant. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you because there's impenitence and they will not receive it. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, now notice the emphasis is upon words again and preaching and teaching of words, not the signs, the miracles. In other words, it doesn't say whoever will not receive your miracles of healing. No, whoever will not receive your words. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 9 that the healing of the paralytic, they object to what Jesus is doing when he says, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Who does he think he is? 
See, they're not worthy, those who were, were, were objecting to it. So remember these things when we go then after this second discourse, after a little bit of a vacation in the summer, we come back in August, these things that he talked about, we'll see them taking place then in the ministry of Jesus immediately following uh, this discourse. Yes? How long did this vicarage for the 12 take? John, I don't know. I, I, I think it's um, a number of weeks or a couple of months type of thing. Uh, it's certainly not like a year because it's within the three a little bit more years of Jesus' ministry. Yeah. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Okay. Remember, mankind is made from the, dust from the dust of the ground, so they're shaking off the dust from your feet. They're not receiving the word of redemption. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And the reason being, as he makes clear, is because at this time, they have the Messiah present. The kingdom of heaven is actually at hand. The time of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was still a distant hope. Yet there were those who repented. You know? So to have the kingdom of heaven at hand in the person of Jesus and the apostolic ministry and then to reject it, it is going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, even they're under judgment, than for uh, that city. Now verse 16. Behold, I send you out to a, a life of luxury where everyone thinks you're wonderful and spectacular. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Interesting. They are shepherds on the one hand, under shepherds of the good shepherd, but then they become sheep who are the objects of devouring wolves, you know, food for wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, or innocent as doves. It would probably be the better way to translate that. So, wise as serpents. Now, who is the serpent in the Bible? Satan. Satan. So, to be wise as serpents is to understand how Satan works in the affairs of mankind, in the twisting of God's word, in undermining the office of the ministry, in rejecting of Christ and his word, did God really say. But innocent as doves, doves who are white doves likened unto in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit, who by the preaching of peace, you know, the dove brings the olive branch of peace and so forth. So they are still, you know, while understanding the ways of Satan, they are still preachers of the Spirit's gospel. They are innocent doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now, councils can refer here to civil authorities, synagogues to ecclesiastical authorities. So, 
Where will the enemies of the ministry come from? From within the church and also from outside. Beware. They will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. We see that in Jesus who is put out of the synagogue at Nazareth and Capernaum. We see it in Jesus who is arrested not by the Roman authorities, but by the temple guard of the Jews. Okay? So he is put out of the synagogue and out of the temple, and he is scourged first by the temple guard. And then they're delivered over to the council, Pontius Pilate, Roman governor, Herod, and he is brutally treated. So the same thing will happen to the apostolic ministers. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Now, the testimony made to uh, the kings and the Gentiles, you know, I will, at the beginning of the Augsburg Confession, there was cited from the Psalms, uh, I will give testimony before kings. And the Augsburg Confession was presented before the Emperor Charles V. It is not only that the testimony that they bear is in words, which it is, words which are faithful to Jesus' words and to the Old Testament words, but it is also the testimony that they give by enduring persecution for Christ's sake. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Who is that? The Spirit of your Father, the Holy Spirit who speaks in you. Now, this is um, shocking for anybody who graduates from the seminary because they're taught never to open their mouth unless they are absolutely prepared. What do you mean, don't worry about what you should speak? Well, it does, it's not speaking against preparation for the ministry, but rather the ordinary life, as I said last Sunday, how do we prepare for possible totalitarian persecution of the church and of Christians by doing the normal things now. Okay, the life of prayer, praying the Psalter, study and meditation upon the scriptures, coming to catechesis, coming to coffee break Bible study, divine service, regular preaching. That's how we are prepared. And when push comes to shove at the moment when someone is called upon to confess, that which you have received, you will be able to give. That's certainly true for them. Susan, you had a question. Verse 17, that comes from, that's Sanhedrin. It, it, it's Sanhedrin, but Sanhedrin had civil authority. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so it is not you who speak, but the spirit of my Father who is in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I would like you to understand that 21 and 22 refer both to actual biological families where this happens, but it also refers to the brothers and sisters and the fathers and mothers, as it were, within the church who may apostatize and rebel. So unbelief from within and from without. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, we have heard that twice, right, in this section of the second discourse about for my sake and hated for my sake. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So that persecution that he talked about in the first discourse, he returns to that theme here. Okay. Um, But he who endures to the end will be saved. What is the end? The last days. Yeah, whichever comes first, one's death or one's, or Christ's second coming, that endurance is to remain what? In the faith, to remain faithful to Christ. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does that mean? You will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Going until the last day, no matter what? Well, think about his his ministry first. Okay. Oh, oh, you haven't done it until the death and resurrection. Yeah, they they, they are not going to complete that mission. They're not, right, because they only have three years. Well, and they're not even, you know. Yeah, right. They as individuals don't get to every city yet. right. Okay. What's that? Yes. Right. What you said. <laughs> now, they were staying more than one day in a, in a place. Is that this what will, so this will be picked up later on in the last discourse about the gospel being preached to all the nations. Then, then the last day. The last day the, yeah. the Son of Man will come. But there is, there is um, kind of like foreshadowings of that prior to. Uh, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. So they are to preach like their teacher, and do like their master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? They will. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden, that will not be made known, which I'll talk about here in a second with this next part. One final thing, and I think John has a question here. Now, what is it 
in this section that we just went through, 16 through 26, that indicates that this, these words of Jesus, are not strictly for that time. It's actually simpler than you think. He talked about scourging, being put to death, and so forth. Let me, let me rephrase it. What in here indicates that this brief apostolic vicarage that they were sent on is that, that, that it's not only about that, but extends beyond that? Because the church is still being persecuted and individual Christians are still... Were any of the apostles put to death during this brief period of time? No. no. Were any of them scourged during this no. brief period of time? So he's talking about persecution and scourging that wasn't going to happen until after the resurrection and after Pentecost. Okay? I mean, I mean that when they and the 70 that were sent out, which is not in this section, but when the 70 are sent out too, it's, it's kind of um, a spectacular advancement of the kingdom. The persecution and the suffering, for Jesus' sake, follows the persecution and suffering that Jesus went through in his Holy Week uh, and Passion. Do you, do you follow? So, you know, it, is this about what they're going to go through right at that moment? And in large part, no. It's pointing forward. Okay. But remember the words of Jesus in John's Gospel. We had it on Sunday in the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything that I told you. It, uh, part of the reason that they were then a little bit more scandalized, perhaps, during Holy Week than perhaps they should have been is they didn't experience the level of vitriolic hatred uh, that, they would, that Jesus experienced in, in Holy Week. Um, there were times of rejection, but they always escaped, right? In Nazareth, they want to push Jesus off of the cliff, and he escapes through their midst. But on Good Friday, he doesn't. Okay. John, you had a... Oh, I thought I, thought I saw a hand up over here. Did, some, did I... Marty, did you? Okay. So, uh, this verse 26 now. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What is that talking about? Nothing covered. Put it in the context of the persecution and the rejection prior to this. Do you think that the gospel is the truth, Verla? Yes, I do. That every doctrine of the word of God is absolutely faithful and true? Yes. Does the world think that? No. What do they accuse you or the church or ministers of in, because they don't believe that? That we're crazy. Crazy? Okay. That's a good enough. Okay? You're, you're deluded. You're whacked out. Okay? Uh, does it seem at times as if the church is losing? Yes. 
Faith is losing. The truth is losing. But the truth of the gospel will be vindicated. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Now in the preaching, this is coming up next, in the preaching of the gospel, we ministers are called to reveal secrets as we articulate the gospel. Believe it or not, I mean, I'm not against reading the Bible. Okay? I'm not against reading the Bible, but the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? The answer is they can't. You're stuck with needing pastors. I mean, it may be depressing to you, but you're stuck with it. Oh, I'm supposed to pass these around. Why didn't I? Because you're busy. Reception, potluck. Reception, ordination. Read over this stuff because we need... There are supposed to be like 70 people from uh, uh, Brennan Christensen's uh, extended extended family and people. That's just there. That's before you count anybody in the congregation. So when you're making your dish to pass, you can make it a little larger than this cup. To help accommodate that, this, so, none of the family obviously is going to be. What we're doing is we're feeding guests here, as opposed to just you know having an insular congregational thing. So the idea is to be generous and do more. So pass that around, and then if anyone, I'm going to make this announcement. If anybody is. Um, we, we've got a collision of calendar events, and I know it it's becomes taxing, but the ordination potluck is on the 19th, and then three days later is the symposium reception on Wednesday night. And if anyone is willing to do some double duty with some hors d'oeuvres, we're going to um, let us know and think about that. Okay, what did I just say? I just took a digression here. Um, Oh, yes, the revealing. Do not fear them. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So uh, I am called and a minister is called to reveal secrets. I was talking about Romans 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? They cannot. How shall they preach unless they are sent? They cannot. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Um, During Jesus' ministry, they absolutely needed Jesus, the multitudes, to preach the kingdom of God. They wouldn't have known the kingdom of God without it. Continuing on, they absolutely needed the apostles to preach. The kingdom of heaven drew near in that preaching. And today, we absolutely need the office of the ministry. That's the one office that the church cannot live without. Other offices are auxiliary, they come and go according to need and circumstances. But the office of the ministry cannot be, well, we don't need that. We have our Bibles and we can read at home. Look at what happened during the pandemic On those churches that shut down, they're the churches that are suffering now with membership in their economy and so forth. Because if it's really that unnecessary to hear preaching and teaching 
publicly and to gather together, then why don't we do away with it entirely? Okay. Right. So the necessity of the office of the ministry. Now, however, so the minister is called to articulate the hidden mysteries of the gospel, which are rejected and considered foolishness by the unbelieving world, Verla. But on the last day, that gospel will be vindicated uh, before even the unbelievers as the truth. So here, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Jesus did this a lot to the disciples, took them aside, explained the parables. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. See, notice the emphasis throughout the entire discourse on hearing, on word. Again, I'm saying that the miracles are signs. The emphasis is upon the word. So preach on the housetops. So that's called public preaching, unbridled, without fear. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's not Satan. That's the Lord God. They rightly capitalize him there. So fear God. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Yes. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And that's particularly a promise, uh, not simply to the church at large, but specifically to the ministry. Susan? In verse 27, yep. how many times he said, don't say anything? I don't yes. Well, uh, I was going to come to that point. This verse 27 actually helps us understand why Jesus so often says, don't tell anyone to the twelve. Don't tell anyone. Because they were not ready. Link, don't tell anyone, with Acts of the Apostles, Jesus' ascension, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay? The coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles so that they could faithfully remember everything that Jesus did and taught and give to us the apostolic scriptures. Okay. So this too is um, future. You know, after his resurrection, they were to do only what he had given them to do now after his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, then there's a no holds barred to the proclamation. Does that, does that help? Okay. Now, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And now the word... Here, whoever, in verse 32, and then whoever, in verse 33, indicates that this applies not only to the apostolic ministers or the ministers today, but it applies to all Christians. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So there is a promise. If you confess Christ, he confesses you before the Father. 
Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So it's a promise of comfort for the confession of faith made in Jesus and also a warning against apostasy. Did anyone deny Jesus before men in the Gospels? Peter. Therefore, is this the unpardonable sin? No. Not that I recommend denying of Jesus and then I'll repent later. In the case of Judas Iscariot, the end outcome was not so positive for him. Okay. Uh, isn't it interesting that in this discourse where he has emphasized early on to the present total reliance upon him, Christ, and his word, not upon any human um, power or what have you, that's what, G that's what Peter was doing when he denied his Lord. He was relying not upon the Lord and his word, but upon himself. This 32 and 33 is uh, often a part of the confirmation and baptismal rites, as well as uh, the ordination rites for a pastor. Okay. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I thought that's what the angels sang about. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow. Now, the sword, how does St. Paul, ref what does he call the sword? Sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word, the Word of God. Yeah. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, this is not gratuitous battling. You know, some of us just like to fight. That, that's not what this is talking about. But it is talking about how the possession of the sword of the Spirit and the confession of the Word, see it follows right on confession, that the confession of the Gospel, the confession of Christ, the confession of the Word of God is the sword that brings about you're either with Christ or you're against Christ. If you're against Christ, there is animosity, persecution, violence against you. Okay? If you're for Christ, there is peace between you and the ministers and so forth who proclaim. Susan? No, if you, uh, if you are against Christ, you have animosity toward... Okay. The animosity and the hatred and the violence is not from the Christian. It is not from the church. It's not from the gospel. Hence, the St. Peter option is emphasizing, as much as our flesh would like to lash out in vitriolic bitterness, that is not the proper response. That's for the the world to do. We're tempted to it because of the flesh. Okay. 
So do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against, now set is alienate, you know, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. So what is the source of division? What is at the center of it? Faith, yeah, faith versus unbelief. Faith in the gospel, faith in Christ versus rejection of the gospel, rejection of Christ. And we've seen this and we'll continue to see it throughout Matthew's gospel in the ministry of Jesus. This bizarre thing. He helps people, he heals them, he comforts them, and he's hated for it. Okay? Uh, and he's called to be Beelzebub, as was mentioned uh, earlier in verse 25. And so are his followers. Okay? He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now notice here, worthy again, occurs as it did back in verse 13, which we talked about repentant sinners. Um, Your son or your daughter or some other relative and so forth whom you love may depart from Christ, but finally, in the end, and that hurts and is a source of angst, but we are called to love Christ more, only then can we truly love those who are enemies of the gospel whether it's in our family or broader than that, okay? So it's only, only love for Christ above all things because to love Christ, where does that come from? It comes from the fact that he loves the enemy. He loves the persecutor. He loves the wicked one who rejects him, okay? So we love him because we see ourselves as the object, objects of that love, Now, it's John's gospel at the end, the third resurrection appearance, where Jesus says, and you'll hear it at the ordination service, to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? So the pastor's calling, the minister's calling to love Christ more than the people he's called to preach. Because only then can he give to the people whom he's called to preach what they need. In other words, he can't love them rightly unless he loves Jesus most of all. And he who does not take his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. Uh, Taking up the cross, where does the cross lead? It leads to death. The cross is an instrument of death. So we are called to have our flesh put to death. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So this is a warning against the idolatry of... And this also speaks against, you know seeing the healing miracles as ends in themselves. 
They're not ends in themselves. Then you make an idol out of, out of Jesus or the prosperity gospel. Believe in Jesus so that you can get rich. Believe in Jesus so that you're successful in business. Believe in Jesus so that this doesn't happen. Okay? Um, but he who finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you are embracing as the one thing needful your desires, your appetites, and it may include very good things, even like marriage and family and so forth, to put those in place of Christ is to lose one's life, even though you're doing it because you don't want to let go of your life. Okay. So then the, the passage that we began with, he receives you, receives me, and he receives me, receives him who sent me. So notice how Jesus was willing to let go of his life so that others might live, and in so doing, he gained his life, so to speak from God the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. Remember I had cited Elijah early on today? The widow of Zarephath, give me a cup of water first. Bake me a cake first. An audacious thing to ask this woman who believes she's going to starve. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Jesus is the preeminent prophet to receive a minister in the name of Jesus, the preeminent prophet, there is the prophet's reward, which is eternal life. He receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man. Jesus is the preeminent righteous man. And his under-shepherds are righteous men proclaiming his righteousness. Shall receive a righteous man's reward Remember, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake in the Sermon on the Mount, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding the twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. So that's the end. Verse 1 of chapter 11 is the end of this first discourse. Um, Jesus' little ones, you know, who are they? They are his ministers. Jesus' little ones, who are they? They are his baptized children from infancy to adulthood. And this last 40 through 42 celebrates the reception of the gospel, which is noted in then the care for those from whom you've received the gospel, just as it said in the beginning, verse 10, a worker is worthy of his food. We can see examples of this in uh, Paul's missionary journeys. Philippi, uh, there was the Philippian jailer, and Paul and Silas were preaching and singing the liturgy through the night. What a stupid thing to do. Praying and singing. Then there's the earthquake. The jailer is about to commit suicide. Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And the jailer says, what must I do to have eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. And what happens? That day, 
He is baptized, he and his household, and immediately he begins to give the cup of cool water to Paul, to Silas, binding up their wounds, feeding them, and so forth. So there's the response of the reception of the word results in taking care of those who have brought the word to you. So is this section about that brief time of vicarage that they went on, or is it about the church's ministry till the second coming? Yes. Yes. But especially about the church's ministry until the second coming. All right, well, I wanted to get through the discourse I did. It's it's too bad we're out of time because I was going to show you uh, some of the ordination right on uh, the 19th at the ordination divine service uh, you'll have to use your hymnal for the hymns but the rest of the liturgy including all of the ordination and installation rite are included there for you so um, if you want to Uh, hold on to that and then bring it to Bible class in August when we meet again. You might have some some questions about it. A couple of features at the beginning of the, after the sermon, the beginning of the ordination rite, the choir in that hymn, Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Ghost, is with the congregation prayed for Brennick Christensen as he is kneeling there before the altar. So the invocation of the Spirit. And then we sit down and we hear the fellow pastors who are guests, they will go through Bible passages, hear what Holy Scripture says about the institution of the office of the ministry, and various pastors read those. Then hear what Holy Scripture says about the strength of the office of the ministry. And more passages are read. Hear what Holy Scripture says about the the promise to the ministry. And then passages are read. And then there is um, very important what's called confessional subscription. Where the candidate is asked by the district president, and I won't read them all, but just to give you a a flavor of that. Um, Do you acknowledge that the Lord has called you through his church into the ministry? I do. Do you believe and confess the canonical books of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Response, yes. I believe and confess the canonical scriptures to be the inspired word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And then, do you believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds, namely the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian creeds, as faithful testimonies to the truth of the Holy Scriptures, and do you reject all the errors which they condemn? Yes, I believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds because they are in accord with the word of God, I also reject all the errors that they condemn. And it goes through the articles of the Book of Concord. And, you know, do you promise that you will perform all your duties in accordance with these confessions? And another question, will you faithfully instruct both young and old in the chief articles of Christian doctrine? So this confession called confessional subscription, uh, the ordination vows, very important to the ordination. After that, 
then the district president, who is the presiding bishop, lays his hands on the candidate. He is ordained, and then each pastor lays hands on, speaks a, a passage of scripture until it's gone through all of the pastors. And then there is, um, he stands before the congregation, will you receive him? Kind of like give him a cup of cool water, okay? Pray for him and support him, and then we will, with the help of God, then the district president prays for the candidate, and then the hymn to God the Holy Spirit, let us pray, is is sung as the clergy leave the chancel and then the table is prepared uh, for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's at that time that Pastor Christensen then will take over and pray the prayer of the church and officiate at the Lord's Supper. So that is his first um, official act as an ordained pastor then becomes the prayer of the church and the celebration of the sacrament. And then he'll preach the Sunday after that, the 26th, for the first time. Okay? So hang on to your, and then if you have, you know, you can take notes in it if you want, bring it back and I can try to explain some things. But that'll be next time we meet, which will be in August. First Thursday in August. Okay? Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.